You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. the Lord. And it's good to be in God's house. Good to be, amen, with God's people. Tonight we're going to look at God's book, amen, to see some God thoughts for our lives. We're going to dismiss our children tonight and our youth class as well. Amen. We're going to dismiss, amen. Is it toddler night tonight as well? First Wednesday of the month and we have our toddler class. Amen. And uh, how many, how many believe, amen, and having kids in the house of the Lord? Amen, amen, amen. This is great. And so we, we have our children in service with us. And uh, last night we were here at prayer. And as I was closing prayer out, one of our children just felt led of the Lord to come on up on the platform. Amen. Mom was embarrassed. I said, don't you even worry about that. Amen. Kids have to learn somehow. Amen. We love having our kids. Amen. In the house of the Lord. And so, but tonight we have our uh, space for our toddlers as well. Amen. We're going to jump into the word of God tonight and we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. We need the help of the Holy Ghost. So before you're seated, I want us just to ask the Lord, amen, to move upon our hearts tonight. Amen. Open up our lives for his word to minister. Can you do that with me right now? Can we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name? I thank you for your word. I thank you for the blessing of the gift of the word of God that we have in our hearts. I pray, God, that you'd anoint our minds as we stand before your word tonight. Let your spirit have its way in our heart, God. Let our hearts seek to be formed and molded by your hand, by your spirit, God. Conform us to your will, God. Help us not to try to wrap the word around our life, but to wrap our life around the word of God, Lord. And I give you glory and honor tonight in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. First Corinthians chapter number 12. First Corinthians chapter number 12. Welcome to part 22. <laughs> of the wisdom of God, a study of 1 Corinthians. Next year will be one year ago that, or next week will be one year ago, next Wednesday night, that we started this series. Amen. Little did we know, amen, how long it would take. But by the help of the Holy Ghost over the next, I think, five or six Wednesdays, consecutive Wednesdays, we are going to uh, finish, amen, coming through this chapter, We only uh, through this epistle. We only have a few chapters left, amen, but that doesn't mean anything, amen. And so we're going to do that this year. I hope you've enjoyed this. Have you enjoyed going through the word of the Lord and the help of the Lord? And I know we've jumped around a little bit, had some disruptions and some things, and that's all right. So forgive me for that. That wasn't my, my desire necessarily, but we are walking verse by verse through this epistle, trying not to skip anything. And I'm going to take you tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, where we will pick up at verse number 28. And here in chapter 12, we spoke beginning of the verse on the gifts of the Spirit. But then we began to talk about the body of Christ and how we work together in the body of Christ, how we function in the body of Christ, how God has us uh, in different, uh, uh, different operations, if you will, as he wills, as he desires. God is the one that's in control. God's the one that, that sets all of this. And we see that here in this passage of Scripture. We, we, we closed out the last session with verse 27, which says that ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And we put focus on that. Now closing out this chapter, he sort of wraps this up and gives us 
uh, an interesting order or a summary of what he's talking about in this chapter. And this is going to set up these next uh, three verses here, if you will, four verses are going to set up chapter verse chapter number 13. So let's begin reading tonight, if we can, in verse number 28. And God hath set some in the church. All right, let's stop right there. And God hath... Y'all are laughing. I don't, I don't know why you're... This is not funny. I mean, there are sometimes... I'm not even trying to be funny. All right. And God hath... This is too good. I can't just skip over this. I mean, we can plow on through. We can miss it. But I want you to underline this. And God hath... Set those four words, and God has said, This is God's doing. You didn't set it, I didn't set it, I didn't establish it. God established this. This is God's church. So, so very, uh, uh, very importantly, He's highlighting here that we are not the ones that are pronouncing how the church is going to work, but this is a God thing. And when God does something, God's going to manifest. It's going to be, it's going to be understood. It's going to be manifest. We're going to know that. We're going to see that. Amen. So you and I don't do this ourselves. We don't come and say, well, I, I am setting in the church. I am doing this. I am determining. No, the Lord does that. And when the Lord does that, well, in another place, what does he say? Try the spirits and see whether they be of God. You can know. Have you ever heard somebody said, the Lord told me and you're, Pretty certain the Lord didn't tell them. <laughs> somebody told them, or they may think somebody told them, but I can tell. And you tell that why? By, by the word of God. You can tell that because you, you can trust the spirit. You can trust God's word. And so this is important, what Paul is saying. He, he's Now, what is the context that he's dealing with all this? Well, he's talking about disunity in the church. He's talking about all the problems that they were having in the church. And so he's addressing the disunity that's manifest, one way their disunity is manifest is there's all this competition in the manifesting, moving giftings of the Spirit. So somebody, you know, has a move of the Spirit in their life, and aha, they think now that I'm, I'm better than them, or I ought to be able to give me the microphone because God's moving in my life. Well, hey, newsflash, God's moving in all of our lives. Yes, amen. And so uh, this is a God thing. This isn't a you thing. You don't get to pick and choose. So that's, that is a good... A good thing to underline because it brings us to this part here with humility. So this is about God. And this is about his church. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. Okay, so, so let's read on. First apostles. All right, so God has set some in the church. First apostles. Now, he uses the word first. So he is now establishing, interestingly, he is establishing an order. Okay, let's read on. Secondarily, prophets. Okay, he follows that secondarily, yes. Thirdly, teachers. Thirdly, okay. After that, miracles. After that, okay. Then gifts of healing. Then, all right, so he does establish an order, but I want us to note that the order does lend itself to be a little bit more abstract as he goes along. So he's not giving us something, a hierarchy necessarily, that we are to... to uh, 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 lock into, but he is establishing what we would say is an order, okay? And he's giving us a list. It's not exhaustive, and we see that. He establishes an order, and then he gets a little bit more abstract as he going here, and he's talking about these giftings to the church. This is what God has given. This is what God has set, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing. Read on. Helps. Helps. Governments. All right. Diversities of tongues. Governments. Then at the, at the end, diversity of tongues, which this is not, as we know the context of this chapter, this is not the initial sign of the infilling of the Holy Ghost as discussed or, or, or talked about much in Acts. Um, but this is that gift of the Spirit, which he's going to talk about more in depth in chapter 14, but he's already referenced the message in tongues interpretation. And we've witnessed that being in a Pentecostal experience, in a Pentecostal atmosphere here, in prayer, times of prayer, where we see where the Spirit moves. And then there's a tongues and interpretation, if you will. But he puts that there near the end, at the, at the end. Okay, now read on. Are all apostles? Okay, this is a, 
A question. All right. Are all prophets? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? All right. Are all workers of miracles? All right. Have all the gifts of healing? All right. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? All right. So here he's asking now a, a question that is a rhetorical understanding of no, no, no. Now he's not saying that that you can't be all of these things, but he's 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 observing it as a practice. Are all of the people in the church are they fulfilling all of these roles? And the answer is no. What's what's the underlying thing? Well, it's it's division in the church. And what did he just finish telling us a few verses before? Is that if we're in the body, we need one another. You are not a complete package all by yourself. Turn to somebody and say, you need help too. You need help too. Okay. So I may have a gifting, amen, but I can't do everything by myself. So even as, you know, so, so, and we talked about this, you know, so as a pastor, a pastor doesn't say, well, I'm the only one that can hear from God. I'm the only one that can speak. Well, no, that, that's first of all, not biblical. And a pastor needs needs to hear from God sometimes outside of himself sometimes. Amen. Sometimes a lot of times. <laughs> right? We're not, we're, we all need, we need the body of Christ together. Amen. And you're blessed by it and you're benefited by it. This is what he's talking about here. So then he closes it out. But cover earnestly the best gifts. What's the best gifts? Well, the gifts that edify, the gifts that strengthen, the gifts that build up. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And he's going to show us that. But let's, before we just run through this, and we just, we just talked over some important stuff here. Let's pause. Let's rewind if we can. So let's go back, if we can, to verse 28. All right? And I want us to look at this order that he's given here. Because there is some discrepancy. There seems to be, uh, well, I wouldn't say some discrepancy. There is some argument. There's some contention over certain uh, uh, parts of this passage here. Some people say, well, the gifts of the Spirit aren't in operation. Those were only in operation for the early church until the canon of Scripture was set. And once the canon of Scripture was established, there was no more need for the gifts of the Spirit. Well, we know that's what we would call as cessationist. People believe that uh, it has ceased because, as we'll see uh, in chapter 13, he asked the question, um, uh, tongue cease. He's making a point, and he said there will be a, a day where uh, tongues will cease. And in the context, he's talking about the gift of tongues. And uh, so cessationists believe that all those things, those gifts don't happen anymore. They believe that prophecy doesn't happen anymore, that, that uh, uh, the gifts, there's people that believe that gifts of healing, divine healing does not happen anymore. Uh, supernatural signs and wonders do not happen anymore. There's uh, uh, good, well, I say good, well-intentioned people who believe and are taught that those things are done away with. And uh, I'll never forget, we were in a revival one time, and, and I asked a lady, she was, in, she was in her 90s, and she came to the revival service, and she was praying for the Holy Ghost, and she had been a denominal pastor's wife. And I asked her, I said, um, all these years that you've been reading the Bible, all these years that you've been in church, all these years you've been serving, did you never, like, what did you do with, with the gift of the Holy Ghost? What did you do with that when you came across that part in the Bible? And, and she looked at me weepingly and just said, oh, honey, we were taught that that wasn't for us today. And she told it through tragedy, saying, I never knew that this was available to me kind of thing. And I know, you, I know we have a witness in the house. But how many are thankful that you know now that it is available, that God's gift is free for all. And he does give it to us. And, you know, I've, I have met, I, I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life that have told me I was praying and I was hungry for more and praying alone in my bedroom or in my closet or in my house or in my living room. And I received the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I didn't even know what it was. And I was too scared to tell anybody. <laughs> Because of, uh, because of what they were going to say. Amen. We met, I can't remember how many years ago it was. It's probably, it's, it's been probably 15, 16 years ago where we met, uh, we were working at Indiana Bible College and, and a former Baptist pastor brought his son to the school to check it out because um, he had lost everything. He had lost his church, lost his pastor, his whole livelihood. And, uh, 
was, was angry. God had salvaged his marriage, but his wife was a school teacher in the public school and uh, a home mission pastor's daughter was in her class and started witnessing to her. A little child started witnessing to her and told her about the Holy Ghost. And she went home and started praying and asking God, Lord, if it's real. And God, she said, one day they were waiting to go to church. And she said, my, hum- my husband was so mad because I was making him late. He thought I was just being late for services, the pastor's wife getting ready. She said, what he didn't know was God was filling me with the gift of the Holy Ghost in my bathroom while I was getting ready for church. And it caused a whole riff in their marriage. The husband fought it until finally God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost as well. Amen. I can't tell you how many, that I could go on with story after story. We were preaching in Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, and this has been before we were here, probably about eight or nine years ago. And uh, there was another Baptist pastor who had uh, uh, saw the oneness of God, started baptizing people in his church in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the church board said, no, you, you, you can't baptize like that. And uh, they fired him. He lost everything, lost his, his livelihood. They lived in the parsonage and everything. And that Sunday they were coming to the Pentecostal church and they had lost everything. And his wife said, what did she say? She said on that way, she was praying that morning. She told us, she said, God, I was praying. Is it really worth it? Was it worth it? All of this, if it's real, fill us with the Holy Ghost. And God filled them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that Sunday that we were there. Amen. So, so there's people that come to this and they say, oh, well, these things are past. What does all this stuff mean? Amen. But God uh, has set, God hath set some in the church. And look at what he says. He says, first apostles. Now, apostles. Now, he first established, let's look, at, let's look at the bigger context here, if you will. First apostle, second prophet, thirdly, teachers. Now, those are clearly offices, let's say offices of spiritual gifts. Those are offices that people are holding within the church. The New Testament church would have observed those as offices. Then the next thing it says, after that, he doesn't say fourthly, he says after that. So he's grouping some things together. Uh, He says, after that, miracles and then gifts of healing. So supernatural works, works that only God can do, no man can do. Blind eyes, uh, the dead coming back to life. Uh, 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 Miracle healings, physical healings that are uh, uh, unexplainable, absolute. Then after that, he says, helps and governments. And this word governments here, is talking about, if you will, uh, administrations within the church. So, so this actually is a case or a test testimony here for uh, the fact that the early church not only had local church government, but they had a uh, they had more of a structural government. Maybe not like in a denominal sense that we would be accustomed to today, but they did have a government and they had oversight. They had intentionality. And so some people, uh, especially in uh, Pentecostal circles, uh, you know, really rebel against organization. And they almost preach that any organization is, uh, you know, I don't want to be a part of an organization. Um, you know, we, we can't be organized. Well, I don't think God gets glory out of a disorganized church either. So, you know, I, 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 on one hand, I understand what you're saying. On the other hand, well, here's Paul is actually saying, no, God hath set this in the church. For some people to have giftings of helps and administrations or governments here. And then, so, so that seems to be sort of a, an organ, organizational structure of some sort. And then finally, he, he says, diversity of tongues, which would be a gifting, which we've already talked about, a spiritual gifting of utterance, those that are speaking forth. And we know that there was never to be a a message of tongues given without the interpretation. He talked about that. Um, So, uh, but he's giving them sort of this categories, how God has set things in the church. Now, it's not a hierarchy. There are some offices missing. That Paul references in other places, Paul talks about the elder or the pastor or the evangelist. He's, this is not an exhaustive list. He's trying to establish that there is an order that God has given in the church. He's not establishing a hierarchy in the church either. 
Right. And some people have taken this and they've run with this and they've said, you know, they're self-appointed. Well, I'm a prophet. Well, I'm an apostle, you know. All right. You know, you know, it's, it's like it's like when you're in Boy Scouts, you know, you're, you start off and uh, everybody's what uh, you, you first. Uh, you're, is it is it third class you start out? I can't even remember. It's been so long now. You're, you're a scout. Yeah. But then you, you're you're tier. You're third class, second, second class, first class, whatever. And then it goes all the way up to Eagle at the top. And you're like, OK, look, I've got this badge. This is not what Paul is doing. Right. He's not saying in the church there's this hierarchy, but he is acknowledging that there is a maturity. There are offices that God has established in the church. And he starts first with apostles. Now, this is interesting. The first the first apostles that we know were the 12 that were with Jesus. And there were uh, strict qualifications to become an apostle. We know that uh, we know that by Acts chapter 1 when they replaced the seat of Judas that had been vacated and, and they, they brought up two names, the qualification was they had to have been with Jesus every day. They, ha- they had to have been with the Lord. They had to see Jesus. And of course, they, they replaced uh, Matthias and put him in that, in that seat. But then later on, we know that this apostle, this, this term apostles does not only appear to uh, uh, or, or speak about the first 12. Now, sometimes people say, well, that's only the first 12. Those are established. I think there's differences when when later on he says we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He's that's not a moving target. He's talking about things that have been established. Eyewitnesses. Peter said we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were able. We were there. We saw him. We beheld him after the resurrection. We were there with him. But here, he, he, apostles, we know that Paul was considered a, a, an apostle. We know Barnabas was considered an apostle. James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a part of the original 12, he was considered apostle. There was other places, but we also know in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that when you are an apostle, you had that same calling that was upon them. So the apostles seem to be those that would, that would uh, uh, be called of God into a, uh, uh, an orderly spiritual authority, sort of a regional thing. Paul definitely uh, uh, exemplified that. I heard, I heard um, and I've heard people argue about that, but that, that there's no other apostles outside the 12. Well, there are people in the New Testament that are called apostles that are not a part of that original 12. Now, that doesn't mean that you could go out and you could say, well, well bless God, I'm an apostle. Um, now, Paul did say that he was apostle, but he did not say that he was an apostle on his own. He did that with the full authority and vetting of, of the other apostles. Peter would endorse him. When Peter would write his letter, he said, oh, that, that, that man, Paul, used to be named Saul. Yeah, his letters, you need to read those. You need to study those. You need to follow after those. And so there, there was a validation within the body of Christ. Then the second, he says, secondarily, prophets. Prophets, what's he talking about here? Well, I think if you go back to the context in which this is given, this is someone who acts as a spokesman for the Lord, speaking things for the Lord. This is what, we we don't use these terms as often today, but this is what happens, ought to happen much of the time. Uh, we see this with preachers and with evangelists, somebody who prays. I've been in prayer and the Lord has sent me with a word from God for you. This is not a word. This is not new revelation that's not already covered in here. This is not somebody coming in, you know, and saying, uh, we, you know, this is not, you know, an angel visited me last night and told us that we all have to wear, you know, uh, green suits and white shoes. And, you know, we have to all know that's that's crazy. That's cultish kind of stuff. No, but this is somebody who's saying God is speaking to me that, you know, and, and God comes with a, 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 a relevant word, a rhema word for you. Somebody who is forth telling. So sometimes we think of prophets as only those who are uh, uh, foretelling, telling the future. Amen. Well, sometimes to prophesy is not even, I don't even have to know the details about the future but God can speak to me about something that I'm giving to you in that moment. So, uh, and then thirdly, teachers, teachers, teaching. This is much of the ministry of, of pastors, but it goes even beyond that. Somebody that is gifted to teach, teaching the word of God. I shared the testimony last time of um, oh, uh, Jason, or not, not Jason, what's the student that, that was, I, I shared it on Sunday, that was preaching 
Jonathan Bacon's. Uh, and he was our student at Indiana Bible College. And uh, he reminded my wife that I kicked him out of school. And uh, when we, he went home, he was so, he was so uh, convicted, he had to straighten up his life. He went back home to Louisiana and he started a rehab program. And over 2,500 people have gone through that rehab program. This has been probably 15 years ago uh, that he went back home. Now he's, he's moved and he's in Wichita and he's taught how many Bible studies 6,000 Bible studies. That's his full-time job. He's full-time, only job. He works for the church, and all he does is he teaches Bible studies all week long, 30 Bible studies a week. And he's taught over 6,000 Bible studies and just teaching people and leading them to Christ, leading them to the Lord. That church has over 700 kids that they bus in every Sunday morning. It's pretty incredible. It's absolutely amazing what God's given them to do. So this is a gift that God gives the church. And then after that, supernatural signs. God gives that, helps, and governments, and then diversities of tongues. Then the utterance, these things. These are things that God has set in the church. God gives that to us. You could be a teacher. You could be one who, 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 who is helping in these different ways. You could be one that is seeing, uh, seeing supernatural miracles take place at your prayer, whatever. And then he goes on to the next question. Do all do this? Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? No, not everyone does everything, which ought to humble us. We need one another. Just because I pray for others doesn't mean that I don't need people to pray for me. Just because I preach to others doesn't mean that I don't need somebody to preach to me. And I learned that as a young man in ministry. How could God, I watched, and, and this, was, this was immaturity, but as a young man, as a teenager, when God first began to use me, if you're not careful, it can be a little intoxicating, and you start thinking, oh, look at how great I am. God used me. God chose me. Well, God spoke to me, and when God speaks to you, and, and especially as, as a young man, when you it, uh, uh, experience some success, I get up and I preach, I, I preach, I testify, I get up, I give an altar call, and people come down, and they're healed, and they're blessed, God used me, all of a sudden, I can start thinking, well, well, I can, I can, I can, you've heard, you ever heard this? I, I don't need, I don't need to go to church, I can just read the Bible for myself, and God can talk to me. Well, they say that because God's talked to them, but I also know I know how much I could have been used by God at the same time while totally missing something else in my life. And it was only the grace and the mercy of God that sent my pastor or someone else in my life to intervene. And while a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's been times where people have come to me and said, hey, there's some things in your life that God has sent me to talk to you about. And I thought, I remember, wow, I can pray and hear God's voice and follow in the flow of the Spirit or the gifting of the Spirit to minister in a certain place. At the same time, I still have things in my heart that I'm, I haven't been open to the voice of God in my life. I need one another. We need one another in the body of Christ. And so this is what he's saying. So he closes out, and now we're coming to the good part. And he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. What are the best gifts? Well, the best gifts are the ones that edify. And we're going to see that because he's going to expound that in uh, chapter 14, where evidently they were having a lot of message in tongues and they were having no interpretation. And he says, yeah, it's great that the, Spirit, the Spirit's moving through you, but you've just got utter chaos and it's become a show about how spiritual you are and it's not edifying the body of Christ and the message isn't actually reaching the body. You're getting in the way. You're, you're yielding to the Spirit, but you're actually getting in the way of what the Spirit is trying to accomplish because of your divisions, because of your pride, because of your arrogance. And so he's saying, covet earnestly the best gifts. What are the best gifts? Well, the best gifts are the ones that edify the body. And then he goes on, right? He's asking these rhetorical questions. And then he says, and yet show I you a more excellent way. Yeah. Now, they were puffed up, right? They were puffed up by the, by the gifts of the Spirit that were in operation there. So, so you should take note that when the spirit, when the gifts of the spirit do operate, there is a temptation for us to be puffed up. When God speaks through you, there's a temptation for you to be puffed up. When God reveals things to you, when God speaks to you, when God shows you, whatever that is, discernment of spirits, whatever that is, you can get puffed up. And 
And Paul says, no, there is a more excellent way. And now enter chapter 13. And in chapter 13, he's going to begin this discourse of how love is the premium, premier way. What is he saying? He's saying, what is greater than spiritual gifts? What's greater than supernatural working? Well, the greater way is love. So what's he telling them? He's telling them, don't just seek spiritual gifts. Because he did tell them. He said, he said, covet earnestly or seek the best gifts. But I'm going to show you a more excellent way. You know what's better than seeking the best gifts? Here it is. Don't just seek the gifts. Seek to use the gifts in love for God's purpose. Because they were using the gifts of the Spirit, but they were devoid of love. Love for one another. Love for those that, that, that needed the message of the Lord. Let's read, if we can. All right, read on. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, yes. And have not charity. All right. I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I am become. This is pretty bold. This is pretty harsh. He's coming out of the gate. He's not holding anything back. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I do not have love, (laughs) I am as a tinkling symbol. Right? Yes. So when you praise the Lord, Brother Brian, you're a drummer. When you praise the Lord, you praise him on, the Bible says, on the high-sounding symbols. Praise him on the loud symbols. I mean, you're waiting for that crescendo. You want the guy to come out with those big symbols and, you know, there's a crescendo there. You know, Paul says it walks out. I wish I, wish I, had, I wish I had the little toy Fisher Price symbols that you get, you give to a two-year-old. Right? Yeah. Paul says you're walking out, you're so puffed up and you think you're so great and you're getting up there and you're showing everybody, look at me, I can speak in unknown tongues. And he says what you're really doing is you're standing up there like, Tink, tink, tink. And everybody's really looking around saying, who does this fool think he is? What in the world is going on? Is that not what he's saying? That's a pretty bold, that's a pretty strong thing. Without love, he said, here's here's literally what he said. Well, read on, read on. And though I have the gift of prophecy. Yes. And understand all mysteries. All right. And all knowledge. Yes. And though I have all faith. Yes. So that I could remove mountains. That's a lot of faith. And have not charity. I am nothing. All right. That's a lot of faith. But if you don't have charity, you are nothing. Yes. I mean, Paul's not saying, well, you're all right. Keep trying. He's saying, no, stop right there. Party is over. You are nothing. It is absolutely all in vain. What's he telling them after he talks about the gifts of the Spirit? Well, he's telling them this. It matters less how you function in the church. It matters less how great your gift is if it's not done with charity or love. You can edify and function in love and not have miracles or prophecy, and you're still going to have benefit. That's the power of love. He said, you may not have supernatural works, you may not have anything, but if you have the love of God in you, you can minister to someone. But if you have gifts of prophecy and miracles, signs and wonders, but you don't have love, he said, you're nothing. If you have to make a choice, you can't do, you can do one without the other, but you can't do the other without the one. And that is love. There has to be love there. This is why here at CTK, we are true centered, spirit led and love driven. Because if we're not motivated by love, the love of God, it is all in vain. It is all in vain. Amen. So he said here, you have to have love. Well, they, they, were, they were devoid of love. And we can tell that. 
They have a hierarchy in their, in their, the Lord's Supper. They're making a mockery of it. They're actually limiting people from partaking in communion, which is actually, uh, 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 it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a blasphemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ that says this is for all. They were putting a tiered social class in the church, and the gospel says, no, we're all level at the foot of the cross. They're standing up. They're puffed up. Look at how great I, I'm being used by God, but they don't have love. They don't have love one for another. And Paul said, all of your holiness, all of your righteousness, all of your powerful moves, your signs and wonders, all of the stuff that you can do, all the things that you do. He said, it is nothing because you don't have love. God convict me. God convict us. If we are not motivated by the love of God, be careful that we don't become Pentecostal out of our pride. <laughs> Can I say that again? Yes. We have to be careful that we don't become Pentecostal out of our pride. Look at what I can do. Yeah, the Holy Ghost is so given. Look at, look at how great I am. No, 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 no. When the Spirit of God is love. Yes. When the Spirit of the Lord comes there, that, it is love. It's, it's love consuming. Right. You're not doing things for a show. You're not doing things for arguing one, right. once right. Among, uh, uh, one among the other. Right. Have you ever been in a church that has absolutely got so much disunity going on? And you could be in those places. And does the Holy Ghost still move? Absolutely, the Holy Ghost still moves. But the Holy Ghost moves in spite of us more often than because of us. And we do well to remember that. That God moving in the middle of a mess is not God validating our mess. It's, It's showing God's mercy in spite of our mess. And so this is what Paul is saying. Yes, the Spirit's moving. Yes, you, yes, you've got a hold of God. Yes, you're trying to, but you're doing it all wrong. You're missing what God has. Love, love, love. Look at what he says here. Okay, go on, go on, verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Yes. And though I give my body to be burned. All right. And have not charity. Yes. It profiteth me nothing. All right, so now he gives, he gives, he gives things that are, he's appealing to the Corinthian church of things that they really, really need. Speak with tongues of men and of angels. And, and some have, have gone and, and made a doctrine of this. Well, when you speak in tongues, are you speaking in tongues? Are you speaking in an earthly tongue? Are you speaking in a heavenly tongue? Are you speaking in angels' tongues? And some people say, well, you know, some people, I think maybe they're well-intentioned. <laughs> I got to be careful here, but I, I do have a responsibility as pastor to teach you. Some people teach, you know, that there's different types of tongues. And I, I, I think we ought to have enough humility to think, well, if that's what they believe and that helps them, that's great. But we have to be careful when we make doctrines of things that are extra biblical that aren't in there. You know, is that okay? Yes. How many know there's a lot of wacky stuff out there? There's a lot of wacky stuff. Amen. Thank you, Brother Phil. There is a lot of wacky stuff out there. Be careful when you get on the internet, (laughs) right? It'll lead you down some crazy stuff. Well, sometimes well-intentioned people, they're learning and and whatever. And and maybe, how many of you have ever been off track? Let's just put it that way. How many of us? I've been off track. Okay, so... So maybe we should be a little bit more gracious sometimes when somebody else gets off track. It doesn't mean that they are the agent of hell. Maybe they're, God's still working on them. Okay? But be careful when we take from this verse alone, this verse alone, that there's different types of tongues and all this stuff, and, and you're... you're your Holy Ghost tongue is more immature than my Holy Ghost tongue. And I've been praying longer and I've now, you know, I'm at, you know, and we get into all these things and my, as if my prayer is more impactful or more effective or all of that stuff. Or if you're fighting spiritual warfare, who you, you really need to have this person come because they have a connection with these angels and, and you get into all this, all this extra stuff. Now, does God move with angels? Does God do all? Absolutely. He does all that stuff. Absolutely. But be careful when we start writing out a whole outline of how everything works. And the Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. So I'm not going to worry about all that stuff. Don't miss the point of what Paul is saying. Paul says, though you can do all that, he said, if you don't have love, he said, you are nothing. Amen. 
And he said, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so I can move mountains and not charity, I am nothing. Now, can you have all that stuff and not have the love of God at work in your heart? Well, I've seen some pretty or read about some pretty incredible, phenomenal, supernatural things. And if all we are chasing after is the supernatural, you will lend yourself to the demonic. So do we believe in the supernatural? Do we believe God fills? Absolutely. You better believe it. But if that's what you're chasing after and you're missing the heartbeat of God, you are lending yourself to the demonic. You can step into realms that you don't even know. You toy with things. So this is a heart check. This is what Paul has given them. He's giving them a heart check. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, thank God when you give. How many know we ought to give? Thank God when you give. But if you're giving and you don't have love, you, it, it, you might as well not give in a thing. He said, and though I give my body to be burned. Now, they weren't, they weren't uh, uh, actively, at the time this was written, persecution had not come to that measure yet. Though it would really soon. But he, but they were, they were aware of that type of cruelty that existed in the world, especially with the Roman Empire uh, being so dominant in this season. Crucifixions, other things, they saw those things head on. Their executions, their judgments was not something that was limited behind uh, 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 walls. It was done openly in the public. And so they were aware of that stuff. And Paul says, even if I gave my life for a martyr, he said, don't, don't seek just to be a martyr if you don't have the love of God in your heart. Right. Yeah. Somebody said, well, I'm going to live however I want. When, when the Lord, if I miss the rapture, I'm just going to give my head. Amen. Well, no, if you don't have the love of God in you, right. letting your head roll will not do any ounce of good. Amen. Amen. All right. Read on. Charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long, yes. And is kind. And is kind. Now, folks, you would think that they would understand this. Love is kind. They had to be reminded that love is kind. Turn to somebody and say, just be kind. Just be kind. Just be kind. And now tell them that wasn't for you, that was for me. That wasn't for you, that was for me. You mean we have to be reminded just to be kind to one another? All right, read on. Charity envieth not. Charity does not, love does not envy. Okay, so what does that mean? That means when there's envy in my heart, it is not the love of God that put it there. All right, yeah. amen. Well, Don't justify your envy by the spiritual state of the one that you are envying. Right. Right. Amen? All right, read on. Charity vaunteth not itself. Yes. Is not puffed up. Come on, it, it doesn't put itself first. Is not puffed up. We, we need more love in this world. We need more love in the church. We need more love in our hearts. We need more love on social media. Not puffed up. Not puffed up. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. This is the love of God. Amen. Read on. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He went there. <laughs> He went there. It does not behave itself unseemly. Did you know there is a right way to behave? <laughs> Who would have ever thunk it? And there's a wrong way to behave. And charity does not behave wrong. All right? Seeketh not her own. Charity seeks not her own. Is not easily provoked. Wait, 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 wait. Charity seeks not her own. This, this, charity seeks others. Not, not her own. It, it's not concerned with what, what, what do I need? What do I need? No. 
Love, naturally, when you have love, hey, how can I be a blessing? How can I be? that Love, when you're motivated by love, you, you, it doesn't matter whether you know the person or not. You're encountered. Hey, I want to do something good for someone. I want to be kind to somebody. I don't, I don't have to go up to them and say, okay, do you deserve this? <laughs> what, what, what have you done? I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be nice to you today or not. Now, we've all woken up in the morning and had those kind of days. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be nice to you or not. You know, I haven't drank my coffee, all that stuff. Okay, but (laughs) that is not a spiritual gift. Love wakes up. Good morning. What have we lost? Have you noticed it in the world how we've lost it? We've lost even common decencies of greeting people. You walk in, I, I, I always try to walk in, wherever I'm at, wherever I'm going, I always say, hey, how you doing? Good, good, good to see you. Good morning. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you? I try to greet them with a smile. Sometimes you're, you, you, you know, you're, you're helping someone, you're being nice to them, and, and, and you're wondering, like, man, man, you, you really don't like life, do you? Like, you feel like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I, I'm sorry I chose to shop here. I'm sorry that I called you uh, on the hotline. I'm sorry that, you know, whatever it was, you know, kind of thing. And people, we need love. We, we as Christians ought to have the love of God in our, in our hearts. All right, read on. Is not easily provoked. Is not, oh, ooh, ow, don't step on toes, Paul. Come on now. Not easily provoked. It's not easily provoked. If I could bring this down to the really, really modern translation, doesn't have a short fuse. Now, some days, if if we'll be honest, you know, (laughs) we we don't have we don't have much of a fuse at all. Charity is not evilly provoked. Go on. Thinketh no evil. Charity or love thinketh no evil. See, here's what Paul is doing is he's peeling back the layers. And he's letting them know just because you gave a message in tongues when you walk out of church. Just because you spoke in tongues at the altar, when you, when you get in the car and you drive home, or you go to that restaurant, that waiter, that waitress gets your order wrong, or you go somewhere else and you don't have the love of God in your heart, it doesn't really matter how much you prayed through at the altar if the love of God is not in your heart. I can shout and rejoice and dance and sing in the choir and everything else. But if when I walk into the workplace on Monday morning or I walk back through the threshold of my house on Sunday afternoon and by Sunday night I've lost it again, then what good is it even doing? So don't focus on the... On, yes, he was not. He was not diminishing the gifts. He was not taking away. And he said, "You ought to covet the, the best of the gifts." He said, "But I'll show you a more excellent way, and that is the love of God. When you allow the love of God to be in your heart, read on. Rejoiceth not in charity. Iniquity. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. I can't rejoice." In evil, I can't champion those things. As a Christian, it doesn't matter what I think or feel about things. I can't rejoice in iniquity. I can't rejoice in the demise of other people. I I can't rejoice in those things, no. All right. But rejoiceth in the truth. But rejoiceth in the truth. Now let me let me bring this down. Now this isn't in the text. Because they were living 2,000 years ago. But how do we apply 1 Corinthians 13 and 6 to our modern life? Well, I think this is human nature. And by extension, if I am full of the love of God, I'm not going to get pleasure out of iniquity. 
And that has everything to do with my lifestyle, my conversation, my social circles, and my entertainment. And love rejoiceth in truth. How can I, full of the love of God, get pleasure or enjoyment out of things that are not truth? If you have not had a check lately in the Holy Ghost, I, 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 I mean, we live in a, we live in a, a screen age. Things pop up when you don't want them to pop up. Sometimes you sit down to things and you say, okay, we're going to watch this. And after you've already rented that movie, after you've already taken the time, after you've already set up, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be times where the Holy Ghost will say, this isn't right. And you're going to have to turn it off. You have to delete it. You have to get up and walk out. You have to say, I can't do this. Don't quench the spirit and think, well, just because I moved, I was, I, I was praying at the altar. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. That I'm okay. How many times do pastors and preachers and people, workers of, 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 of God, leave churches? Look at how much, look at how many we prayed through. Look at how many we, we go through. And then you find out where they, they were, they were, they were, they were preachers, gifts of the Spirit on the platform, and they were alcoholics in the office. Because don't tell me you can't do those things. You say, well, I come to church and I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And look at what God moves me. Look at how all this stuff does. God works in spite of us more often than because of us. And I can't tell you how many casualties there have been over the years where people just think, well, I can handle this. No, you can't handle this. Love, 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 love. Love is the main thing. Love, love rejoice not in iniquity. Love rejoiceth in the truth. Give me truth. I'd rather have the truth that hurts than heals than a lie that wounds or comforts and kills. Give me the truth. If it's going to hurt me, give me the truth. I want the truth. I, I, don't, I don't want to live in this false kind of whatever iniquity kind of thing. So, so this, this, ought to, this ought to affect your social bearings. It ought to affect what you put in front of your mind. Go, go ahead, read on. Beareth all things. Love beareth all things. Now, what's this talking about? Beareth all things. Well, this is talking about the trouble when you have to carry, when you have to carry the things you know about in other people. In another place, he said, bear ye one another's burdens. That means when you see somebody that's not perfect around you, bear with it. Help them. Seek to help them. You don't vote them off the island the first time they make a mistake. Right? right. You don't kick them out of the family. No, you bear with them. You bear with them. You keep those things in confidence. You help them. All right? Bears all things. Yes? Believeth all things. Love believeth all things. It, it, it responds to those intentions. It, it, it's believing for it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can make it. Yes. Love doesn't come down with despair. Love doesn't look down with despair. Love breathes life. Yes, yes. Relationships that are shriveled up and dwindled, they, they, they need a baptism of love. Yes. Love that'll breathe life. We can do this. We can get through this. Love, you can do this. You can make this. We're going to help you. We're going to work together. Love. Believeth all things, yes. Hopeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Endure all things. Love, love has hope. Love says there's hope. There's hope for you. Yes. Love doesn't encounter a problem that there's not hope. Right. Right. Love doesn't find a place where it's too late. Yes. There's always hope. Yeah, sure, maybe you can't go back. Maybe you can't undo what's been undone. Maybe there's some consequences, but there is always hope. There's always hope for your soul. There's always hope for your spirit. There's always hope. Amen. Why? Because there's always hope for connection with God. There's always hope for redemption. There's always hope for restitution. There's always hope. God always has hope. Love believes that. Yes. Amen. That's why love sits down with the with, with messed up. It says, you know, I believe God can change your life. That's why, that's, why, that's why we have hope. We ought to have hope when the sinner comes in. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. 
Because, but for the grace of God, there goes I. If it hadn't been for the Lord, where would I be? Amen. I'm not going to look at them and say, oh, you know, they deserve it. They shouldn't be helped. They, no, 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 no. With the power of the Holy Ghost, I believe God. I believe God can still deliver. I believe God can set free. I believe God can fill with the Holy Ghost. Anyone, any person at any time in any place is willing to surrender and submit their life to the Lord. God can put them on the right course. God can put them on the straight and narrow. Amen. doesn't matter what you were born in. doesn't matter what, what you've done. doesn't matter where you've been. Love hopes all things. Okay? It endures all things. Love endures. Love is not predicated upon condition. Love endures. Amen. Jesus went to the cross knowing what he was going to have to endure. And I talked about this last night in prayer. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane twice in Luke's gospel and in John's. It tells us that he had gone there many times before. Judas knows the place. John says Judas knew the place well because that's where Jesus went all the time. Luke says when he goes, he goes where, where he wants. He's implying that he's going back to a place that he knows often. And when he gets there, he turns to his disciples and he says, pray that you enter not into temptation. Jesus knew what was coming. And so what he was trying to get them to do is pray that we can endure what is set before us. And so he prayed, he prayed, and he prayed. And when he comes to them, he said, why weren't you praying so that you would be ready to do? And from that moment, he goes to the garden. It was not his first time in the garden, but it was his last. It was not the first time he prayed, Lord, if it's possible, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. But it was his last. And from that point on, he had a disposition. God, I'm going to do what you called me to do. I am going to love. I am carrying this act out. And there is no one and nothing that can derail me. There's nothing that's going to deter me. Not only did he endure the physical pain, just the physical pain enough is what we think about a lot. But think about this. He was crushed in every way. He was crushed, not just physically, but he was accused of things that he didn't do. He was accused of the very things he was trying not to do. You ever had your feelings hurt? Yeah. Oh, he had his feelings hurt. He was devastated. The people he loved the most left him. Those that he was dying for were saying, crucify him. He was bearing all of that. He, he went through not only the physical torture, it was the mental, it was the emotional. It was that spiritual, all of that stuff. The temptation was going to come for him to say, it's not worth it. The temptation was going to come for him to say, let's start over. The temptation was going to come. And yet he already had the disposition from the very moment Judas walks in the garden. Peter, who had not prayed, he had slept, he should have been praying was not ready because he pulls out his sword right away. He cuts off the ear. Then Jesus immediately goes into love mode. No, he reaches down and he grabs the ear and he puts it back and makes him whole. He's brought forward all the way. They're beating him. They're scourging him. Not a curse word. Never does he speak out. He's among two thieves who are arguing over him. And yet he tells them <laughs> that you can be with me this day. And he forgives the one right there on the cross. And while they're, while they're parting his garments, while they're going out, he's praying. While they're nailing the spikes in his hand, he's praying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Love endures all things. Read on. Charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. This is the power of what Paul is saying. Charity never faileth. It will never fail. It will never go away. It will always exist. It will never, you'll never get to the, you'll never wake up and there won't be love. You'll never wake up and there won't be the love of God. The love of God will exist. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. The love of God will always be there. It never right. fails. And if you would get, a, you know what? Amen. How, many, how many of us we fail? We have a fear of failure. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. You know what? I don't have to worry about failing if I allow the love of God to be the motivation for my life. Because God's love never fails. And if I will just be consumed with the love of God, I'll fulfill all of these things. Amen. That's why he said all the law and prophets hang on two things. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
You won't kill. You won't, you won't have to worry about the list of the commandments. You won't kill anybody if you love your neighbor. You won't have to worry about any idolatry. You won't have to worry about taking the Lord's name in vain. You won't have to worry about any graven images. If you love God with everything, you're not going to do those other things. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to kill from them. You're not going to covet what they have. You're not going to be envious of them. You're not going to commit adultery with them. You're not going to lie against them. Love will keep you and me. Love never fails. Read on. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. All right. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Yes. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. All right. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Yes. But when that which is perfect is come. That which is perfect is come. Then that which is in part shall be done away. That which is in part shall be done away with. Now, as Paul saying, he's saying, he's saying love never fails. He said prophecies, there's, there's a shelf life on prophecies. The gift of prophecies, that's only needed for a while. The gift of tongues, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. He said, yeah, they, they shall cease. Yes, that's absolutely what the Bible says. There will be a day where those things will be done away with. He says, whether we, there be knowledge. It shall vanish away for we know in part, we prophesy in part. God is moving among us right now because our, our knowledge is limited. And so God is helping us. He said, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying this. He's saying that in a redeemed universe, when God is finished, when he wraps this whole thing up, when the drama of redemption is complete and it has all been said and done and all things are under his feet in a redeemed universe, the gifts of the spirit will no longer be needed, but love will still exist. When we get to eternity on the other side, we're not going to need the gifts of the spirit, but we will still have the love of God. And that's why if you get a hold of the love of God now, if you are motivated by the love of God now, he said it is a more excellent way because you are tapping into something that is not temporary. Even though it's supernatural, it's not temporary. When you step into the love of God, you are fulfilling the purpose and the promise that God has for you and for everyone else. This is why it's a more excellent way. And the gifts of the Spirit are brought to help get you to the point of love. They are to help lead you to that full faith and trust of God where you are living in the love of God and you're living under the love of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So so read on and I'll close with this. Stand, Stand with me if you will. When I was a child, yes, I spake as a child. All right. I understood as a child. Right. I thought as a child. Yes. But when I became a man, yes, I put away childish things. Here it is. You know what he's saying here? Don't be immature. When I was a child, I was a child. Spoke as a child, act like a child, and all this stuff. When I became a man, I stopped doing that. Don't be immature here. He says, don't miss the point. Don't be so enamored with the spiritual gifts that you miss the purpose that God has given them and you have no operation of the love of God in your life. He said that's immaturity. It's It's time that you go beyond that. Stop focusing on what gift you have compared to others. Stop competing one against another and work together and let the love of God work inside of your life. That's what Paul's main point is here. All right, read on. For now, we see through a glass darkly. All right, so remember, remember in verse 9, he says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. He's, he's reiterating this context here. For now, we see through a glass darkly. All right. But then, face but then, to face. Face to face. Yes. Now I know in part. Now I know in part. But then I... But then shall I know even as also I am known. Yes, yes, yes. So there's going to be a great measure of revelation that will come to us in eternity. Somebody says, what is it? What is it? Well, I don't know because we're not there yet. And I'm looking through the same dim mirror. That's what he's, he's saying. We look through a glass darkly. Ancient mirrors were dim. So it was it was a similitude, but it was not exactly. It wasn't a perfect portrait. It wasn't a perfect picture. And so we say now we're looking in part, we see in part, but we're not seeing everything. We're seeing two-dimensional. We're not seeing the full picture. We don't understand everything. He said, but someday there, there, all things are going to be revealed to us, and we're going to know all things. And, and in that part, he said, then all of this will be done away with. All right? And now abideth faith. And now, now abideth faith. Yes. Hope. Hope. Charity. 
charity. These three. Yes. But the greatest of these. But is the greatest. Charity. The greatest of these is charity. Why is it the greatest? Because it's the one that endures forever. Yes. Amen. Yes. Now you need hope. Yeah. But someday hope is going to come. You won't need hope anymore. Because <laughs> we'll be in a place, no more tears, no more pain. Now you need love, but guess what? Love will never fail. Love will never cease. Love will never stop. The same love of God that you feel right now, you're going to have the love of God even more so. And the greatest thing is love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we lift our hands towards the Lord tonight? Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you for the love of God. Thank you for the love. It's so rich, it's so full, and so free. I pray, God, that we would not be motivated by childish things, God, by prideful things, but, Lord, by the love of God in our heart. Oh, in the name of Jesus, God, purify our heart, purify our soul. I'll let the kindness and the goodness of God, Lord, flow over our soul and over our spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Baptize me with love. Baptize me with love. Baptize me with love, Lord. Baptize me with love, God. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Though I have all faith so I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. God, I want to give. I want to live. I, I want the power of faith. I want the miracle of God working in us. But God, I don't want all of that and it be in vain. I want the love of God. I want your spirit to dominate my life. I want it to lead me. I want it to affect every part of my heart and my soul. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Can we thank the Lord together tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The love of God, the love of God. There's nothing like the love of God. There's nothing like the love of God. Amen. Here's a book. I think this is the one that my pastor gave to me. And it's by an old, old writer. It's a classic. It's very small. This, this edition only has 60-some pages. You could read it through and probably... Maybe an hour, hour and a half, if you're slow. And it's called The Greatest Thing in the World by Henry Drummond. And if you've never read this book, it's basically chapter 13. It's, it starts with chapter 13, and it just goes through that. If there's one book you read a year outside of the Bible, this would be that book. I don't know how many times I've read it. I never open it up. I never read it and think, oh, I didn't need that. I constantly think, wow, I needed that. And I always walk away saying, I need to read that more often. So I highly recommend the greatest thing in the world. If you need this as a gift for Christmas, maybe that's a good time. Tell somebody, give me this book, buy this book for somebody else. Don't tell them they need it. Tell them because you're so lovely. Be kind.